Remember uh, in that one Academy Awards uh, that Billy Crystal hosted? They were giving James Earl Jones an honorary Oscar, and he says, Baseball. We're, we're talking about... Ba- Hi, welcome to the Bomb Squad Podcast. I am Tanner Richard Kraft. I'm Austin Zwiebelman. And today we have yet another uh, very special guest. Very excited to have him on. We have... Scott Wisdom. I said that like I was doing my voicemail, but it's Scott. <laughs> my, name, my name is Scott. You have reached the voicemail box of Scott Wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And today we are talking about what is, in my opinion, probably the best movie we've talked about on this podcast. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. We are talking about the Bennett Miller directed Brad Pitt starring baseball movie Moneyball. This is probably my favorite baseball movie of all time, if not my favorite sports Mm. movie of all time. And, you know, there are some pretty great baseball movies. You know, I own Bull Durham. I own Field of Dreams. I've seen a lot of great movies. And and it's crazy that the best baseball movie is the one that doesn't even have Kevin Costner in it. What were the odds? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Before we just get into our thoughts about the movie overall, I would just I'm just kind of curious about the context in which you guys have experienced this movie more just. What kind of preconceived notions did you have going into Moneyball and or also how much do you know about baseball, if any? Because I, I feel like baseball knowledge can also impact the enjoyment of the film one way or the other. So we'll uh, start with Austin on this one. For the reason that I am a massive disappointment, I want to answer the baseball thing first. Uh, baseball, in my experience, has become an amalgamation of movies about baseball Stories I've heard and probably less than 10 games that the St. Louis Cardinals have played over my lifetime. Uh, To me, baseball is mostly heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Baseball is that scene where those ghosts come out of the corn and field of dreams. More than anything, (laughs) baseball is a, a commercial for Pizza Hut that plays on the VHS for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, uh, (laughs) uh, I remember that. Classic. (laughs) I don't follow the sport regularly. So when Moneyball came out during my senior year of high school, I was busy. I was busy with a phase that a lot of people go through where they call the game sports ball and write off movies like this. Though, to be fair to my younger self, the 2012 nominees for Best Picture were pretty unattractive. The Descendants, extremely loud, incredibly close. The Help. So The Help has aged like ass. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. So maybe I was also still mad that the King's speech beat the social network the year before. I'm still mm. mad right now. Right. <laughs> Since then, I relegated Moneyball to a room in my mind where it sits on a bench right next to Foxcatcher. <laughs> Probably the only Aaron Sorkin screenplay I've done that to besides the American president. Then later, the big short warmed me up to these sort of nonfiction paradigm shift movies. I learned who Steve Zalian is. And I cooled it off on uh, writing off sports as a personality trait. I cooled off on that heavy. So 10 years <laughs> later, I went into this one really excited. It's really fascinating that you introduced The Big Short as opening you up to this kind of genre because The Big Short is based off of a book called The Big Short. The author that wrote The Big Short book is the same author that wrote The Moneyball book. What? Yes. It's all connected, Austin. Am I blowing your mind right now? Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Michael Lewis? Uh, Yeah, Michael Lewis wrote both of those books. He is an incredibly talented author. The funny thing about both of those books is those books are primarily economics-related books. They're they're obviously wide-appeal books, but they Mm -hmm. look at things from a heavy economic lens. Right. It's funny you mentioned uh, Aaron Sorkin, too, because— I read some trivia about Moneyball and I heard that like basically Steve Zion wrote most of it and Aaron Sorkin did like the last two passes. Like he almost like admits like I I really don't need my name on this movie. Like I <laughs> Steve Zion did like most of the heavy lifting of Moneyball, which is funny because I love Aaron Sorkin. No, I love Aaron Sorkin, too. From what I understand, most of his contributions to the script are injecting more family drama. Mm. That was already there, but he injected a little more, and I think he rewrote most of Jonah Hill's dialogue. Oh, interesting. Because apparently Jonah Hill in the original uh, Steve-only script was way more of a klutz for some reason, and I do not know why. (laughs) 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 Well, Scott, now that I got you talking, I'm curious, uh, when you were going into Moneyball, you know, what kind of preconceived notions or any expectations you had for it? And just what do you know about baseball in general? Sure. I probably knew very little about the money side of baseball, but baseball for our family was 
you know, my mom was really into baseball. She is actually the one who taught me how to play baseball. My mom was, I grew up on a steady diet of baseball movies, you know, Sandlot, Rookie of the Year, Rookie with Dennis Quaid, The Rookie with Dennis Quaid, things like that. And so my mom actually suggested the movie to me. She's like, hey, you should watch Moneyball. It's actually really interesting. And I went in having a preconceived notion of how the movie would be because most sports movies to me were kind of like these cheesy, uplifting in a way, like classics, no doubt. But looking back, you're like, ah, it's got a little cheese on it now that you look back on it, like Sandlot and all that. You know, those are definitely still good movies and all. But yeah, so I was very surprised to have this sort of almost deconstructed view of baseball. And actually not even, it feels, I think Bennett Miller is just like this too. Like even Foxcatcher felt like the most non-sports centric sports movie you can watch. And so I was pleasantly surprised. I was also a senior in high school when it came out, but I didn't get to watch it till 2012. But, and by then I was going through a different phase in life where I, I was into sports like up until like middle school. And then it's kind of like, ah, eh, you know, go artsy fartsy. But yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised. And yeah, my preconceived notions were just like, I knew of baseball. I'm not a big sports fan, but I know the dynamics of play basically. So it was really kind of eye opening in the economics of like how they trade and buy players and things like that. And I was glad to have not been familiar with the story of the Oakland A's and Moneyball because I was like, wow, it, it kind of just blew me away, which is funny because it's a very subtle downplay, basically, just like everything yeah. is brought, all the emoting is brought way down. So, yeah, my preconceived notions were mainly coming from a culture of these inspirational sports movies and going into this really deconstructed kind of journey of a man kind of... Uh, undoing what was done to him through this process of Moneyball. So, yeah, that's that was my first impression. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Well, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to blow everyone's minds here. I am very young. I am much younger than these two people above us. <laughs> above me, I mean, I was in the eighth grade when this movie came out. Right on. I wasn't even in high school yet. <laughs> uh in terms of uh, my thoughts on baseball when I was going in, I am uh, just now I'm a huge, huge baseball fan. Baseball is absolutely my number one favorite sport, which is crazy because it's the boring one. Do you give F off anyone who says it's the boring one? You're boring. You lack romanticism. I love baseball. I have always loved baseball. And Moneyball actually came at a perfect time in my life for baseball because 2011 was the first year I actually started really following the sport. That was mm. the first year I actually, I, I was always kind of like a distant fan of it, but I never really understood it until one fateful day I, in 2010, I started playing a baseball video game called MLB The Show, and I started getting obsessed with that video game. And the next thing I know, I was just obsessed with how baseball actually works, and I was actually starting to understand things about it and put things together. I fell in love, 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 fell in love with the sport. And then 2011 happens, and that's the first season I'm really following baseball. What a great first season to follow baseball in as a Cardinals fan, considering how right. crazy that season was for the Cardinals. Right. Ending in a World Series win. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Because of that, around this same time, in terms of preconceived notions, this was around the time I actually started getting into films more generally. Uh, my path doesn't super start until I watch the Avengers the next year. That's when I really start getting into it. But Moneyball, I remember being one of my earliest memories of watching a movie that wasn't like a big action blockbuster or an animated kids movie. It was a movie that was slow, methodical. It's a, like you were saying, it's subtle. It's more quiet. It's downplayed. And it was one of the first times I remember watching a movie like that and just really, really, really enjoying it. I didn't get to see it in the theater, but I, I caught it on DVD in like December or January after it came out. And I, I fell in love with it immediately. And my appreciation for it has only grown over the years. Moneyball was such a crucial step for me in becoming a film lover because the, the I believe the first movie I ever watched that was like for adults and more subtle and downplayed was the Shakespeare movie Anonymous, the one that Roland Emmerich <laughs> made. And uh, that's not a great introduction if you're 12. Right. <laughs> now that we kind of got our thoughts on uh, going into the movie basically out of the way, I guess this is time for the big beefy meaty question. Just sort of what do we think about the movie overall? Uh, there is so, so much could be said. Uh, Scott, I can tell you're, you're rearing to go here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. What do you think of Moneyball? Yes. Well, Moneyball is still one of my favorite movies. For years, it was my favorite movie of all time, just ever. 
And that comes from, it took the place of The Matrix. The Matrix was my favorite movie for a long time. So it was incredibly impactful. And I think part of that was because of it being deconstructed. And I think that uh, similar to what you're talking about with the big short of having these big kind of unknowable monoliths of subject area being deconstructed and like shown in a really human and personal way was truly impactful for me. And the, yeah, there's just a lot of great things about Moneyball. I think the pairing of Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt was just genius. And when you're, when you're opening, I wanted to add, you said that Brad Pitt starring Bennett Miller directed, I wanted to say like career transforming for Jonah Hill movie. Cause to me, that was the first time I saw him in a dramatic role. And I think that was the first time he, I think he got a, he got a nomination, didn't he? Out of Moneyball. Pretty, pretty sure this was his first time being nominated for an Academy Award. Heck yeah. And I think that led him on a path where he ended up writing, directing mid nineties, which has done well in critical circles. So that's, that's very impactful, not only to me, but, and I always forget all these cool actors that are in there. Chris Pratt is in Moneyball. And I forget that sometimes, even though I watch it pretty much, probably once a year since 2011 or 2012. But I think it's well-written. And one thing, too, I noticed, I rewatched it today and prepped because I was just like, eh, me as well. One thing I realized is how much time they spend with the pitter-patter of conversation. And to me, I think they use that to show a little bit of Billy Bean's, like, frustration. Like, he's trying to power through and make this happen, but he's constantly stuck in these pitter-patter conversations. A great example of that was the scene with Robin Wright's character and Spike Jones, which was also a surprise to see in Moneyball. And having like <laughs> this super, like, uh, you can just tell they're just like these super like laid back kind of uh, people and Billy Bean's just like a bulldozer, you know? Like He's like, oh yeah, of course, if you want to talk about the cell phone. And he's like, her, her mother and I will talk about it, but thanks. You know, <laughs> just like... Uh, that contrast of character. And one thing that I really like about the movie is the use of the song, The Mighty Rio Grande by This Will Destroy You. And that's just that that uh, ambient kind of music that plays thematically. And what I like how they use it in this is usually you hear that song and it's at a very emotional, like they're trying to like build up this emotion of a moment. But I like how they use it in this because it's very process oriented. Like it plays when Jonah Hill first arrives it plays while they're in like in certain processes of getting the team together on the same page. And then it comes back to its crescendo in the music when Scott Hatterberg hits that that home run and that gives them their 20th win and that record breaking win. And to me, I think they use that song really well because this is not a a movie that is uh, not very upfront with its with its emotion and with its uh with its pathos. And I think the use of that song is kind of proof of that, it, especially if you see that song used elsewhere and just the use of all the music. And I know, I think you had, we're talking about score later, but I great thing too about this movie is when you put it in the lens of the structure of, of, of a three act, you know, it works really well in that Billy goes into the unknown because of how disillusioned he is with the known. And I think that is true of a lot of movies post 2010-ish. You know, there's a lot of characters are motivated a lot by disillusionment and, and wounds. And I think that's why Billy Bean is a great character is because he's moved by his wounds. And I think it's, it's summed up really well in that scene with Grady where he's like, you know, uh, hey, I've been there when you sit down and you tell these kids, when I know, I know. And with your kid, I know. And he's like, and you don't. And I thought that was just such a sweet moment. And at the same time, Bennett Miller's direction is so perfect for the subject matter because there's a lot of emotional charge that's like really downplayed and downbeat. And two, one thing I like about the movie is moments that are like building to be a stereotypical kind of inspiration moment are usually like undercut or literally cut off. Like the moment where he walks into there, he's like, hey, everybody, listen up. You not, may not be, look like a winning team, but you are one. So play like one tonight. You know, like I love that they kind of like undercut the big sports speech with that scene and all of them are just kind of looking at each other like, all right, you know, and to me, that was a great communication of the director to the audience. Like, hey, this isn't, we're not going there. Like, And I think, 
it's a purposeful surprise so that when you see that moment with Scott Hatterberg hitting that home run out of nowhere, because it kind of had, in a way, it had nothing to do with their calculations and using Moneyball, but in a way, it had everything to do with it because, you know, Art was refusing to put Hatterberg at first and refusing to let him bat. But it's like, hey, you let him bat. Eventually, you know what happens? He hits a home run. He gets this record done. And yeah, I just thought it was uh, it was fantastic with just its subtlety. It's casting too. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman is Art Howe and then Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, which is so funny because you see a picture of Billy Bean, like the real Billy Bean, and they look kind of nothing alike. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's a lot I could say about the movie, but I, I just be interested to hear more what you guys say and just because like I said one of my all-time favorite movies so all right Austin you have to follow that up now so Austin (laughs) what do you think of Moneyball overall while I have grown to appreciate sports more in general I am never a fan of sort of antiquated attitudes outdated modes of thought like I'd fancy a socialist government so seeing a movie about a sort of like revolutionary really struck a chord with me and was very unexpected from a sports movie. Also, I liked Moneyball as a baseball movie the way I liked Martin Scorsese's Silence as a Christian movie. Um, <laughs> even, if, even if you're not devoted to baseball, Moneyball portrays it as something that you can like understand in very finite, realistic terms. Like it's a sport. It's an industry. It's a commodity with its own field of study and journalism. Mm -hmm. Portraying baseball as this like complicated thing in such a grounded way really helped me actually get in there and love the movie. I also went in blind. It had been so long since I'd heard anything about this around, you know, 2012 award season buzz or whatever that I did not know the surprises about the casting. Watching one come out after another, Robin Wright, (laughs) Philip Seymour Hoffman, Chris Pratt. It was like, oh, I knew this was a Brad Pitt movie. He's all over the cover, but these people, they're just just throwing me a bunch of little stars right now. It was really, really delightful. I also really enjoyed that. um, I found this out later that they used a lot of people who had backgrounds in playing baseball because this whole movie is so ridiculously authentic looking. I, I guess that gets me on to Wally Fister. So through a series of events, they ended up with Wally Fister as the cinematographer, um, sort of rendering this as sort of like if Chris Nolan made a baseball movie, which is really appealing. There was a shot early on in the movie where Brad Pitt is sitting in the Oakland Coliseum and they have this extremely shallow depth of field. And you see all these little specular highlights surrounding him as sort of these bokeh shapes. And I was like, wow, okay, this movie, I guess I get why this got nominated for Best Picture. You know, they have like slow motion focus poles on one scene where there's uh, several pitches being thrown to justice. Uh, They have steady cam shots. They have a half lit baseball fields was a production note, which like. I gotta see baseball looking that cool unless you're watching this movie. It also felt like a movie about the last blow to baseball capitalism in recorded history. Billy Bean's life story felt like felt perfect, like he was dreamed up for a screenplay. I don't know, from sets to costumes, it looked incredible. And then there was this weird sober ending of Brad Pitt in a car where it's sort of zooming in on his face and he's blurring in and out of the sort of industrial looking background. Somebody who changed the face of an entire sport, but he's still this person beating against the sands of time. Like you feel what they did, but you can only capture so much of who they were in a movie. One man in the halls of history kind of thing. And I thought that that weird sober note at the end, definitely, you know, the director putting a bow on everything. I I really I I think this is a really special sports movie and I enjoyed it a lot. All right. Hell yeah. I'm so (laughs) glad I could introduce it to you, Austin. We originally put this on our schedule back in like June, I think maybe July. So this has been on the schedule for a while and I've been thinking this whole time, how the hell am I going to talk about Moneyball? How the hell am I going to talk about one of the movies that like set my life on this course in which I be where I am now? How am I going to talk about one of these movies that I just love to tears every time I watch it, where the simple act of swinging 
a bat and hitting a ball it makes you cry. And granted, real sports can make me do that too, but it's just so beautifully done here. How do you talk about Moneyball? It's it's hard to. It's really hard to, especially because of how subtle and quiet and downplayed the movie is. This isn't the Marvel movie we did last week. It's not full of big, awesome explosions where there's a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Not that, you know, blockbuster cinema is lesser or blockbuster cinema is superior, just a different type of movie. Um, it's difficult to talk about this kind of movie, but I I love Love, 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 love Moneyball so much. I've been saying it this whole time. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I adore this movie in spite of the fact that I know that the story of the real life Oakland is uh, grossly misportrayed here. (laughs) A couple of uh, prime examples. Chad Bradford was on the team the year before. So was Jeremy Giambi. Something in the movie also fails to mention is that they had the MVP of the American League on the team that year. (laughs) And also three of the best pitchers in baseball and probably the best starting rotation in all of baseball. The movie (laughs) fails to mention a lot of these things, but I don't really give a shit because it's so good. I don't really care about the historical inaccuracies of it because it's for the sake of the screenplay and the story of this amazing film. The thing that makes this movie special to me are, are two specific sequences. Austin, you talk a lot Whenever the subject of the movie Steve Jobs get brought up, <gasps> uh, you talk a lot about how it's an action movie where the action scenes are just talking. Action movie with words. To me, Moneyball is kind of similar. It's an action movie where the set pieces are <laughs> montages of things happening. The mm-hmm. one sequence I specifically want to highlight is that sequence where I call it the, pro- the it's a process sequence because there's a moment in it where Brad Pitt is talking to some of the guys and he's like, it's a process. It's a process. It's a process showing this whole plan come together because it works on so many levels. Right. On the most surface of levels, it works because Brad, uh, Billy Bean is getting involved with the team. He's getting involved with, he's motivating them. The team's getting motivated. The team's getting better. They're buying into the system and it works on that level. It works on the level of Billy Bean actually becoming less cold and emotionless and actually interacting with his players, forming camaraderie with them, becoming friendly with them, becoming more more outwardly outspoken. Because a big thing about Billy Bean in this movie is his arc, which is really subtle, mm-hmm. is that Billy Bean is a very restrained man who's locking himself in his own head all the time. He doesn't let his emotions leak out. When he sees, when he goes visit Scott Haddenberg at his house and Scott asks, oh, do you, uh, you have any kids? And Brad just like, uh, yeah, daughter. Like he doesn't care. When in yeah. reality, he cares tremendously about his daughter. Or how about the fact that the only time he shows emotions is when he's just trying to break things. It's because what happens is he locks his emotions in so much that they only get let out when he's overfilled, when it's pent up too much. Mm-hmm. And it results in these, quite frankly, violent outbursts. Right. Um, and it works on that level of him opening up out of his shell and embracing the camaraderie with others. It works also for J- Jonah Hill being more, it allows his character to become more confident because he's also interacting with the players and the advice is working. They're getting better. David Justice, even his little mini arc where he learns to be a more of a veteran leader. It's so good. And the use of music in that montage is just mm-hmm. incredible. I, I could go on and on and on about just talking about that specific sequence and dissecting it shot by shot. Uh, the other big sequence to me is the winning streak sequence, mm. which doesn't happen too much later after that one. But the, with them winning the games and finally getting better, there's a lot of stuff going on there that I really love. I remember people talking about these movies as the year after, and it was always like people will say, I remember going in. I was always asking, how are they going to make a movie about Moneyball? Because Moneyball, the book, Moneyball is not about Billy Bean. Billy Bean is a character in the book, but it is not about Billy Bean. It is about the way in which they upended the system of baseball. There is very little about Billy specifically. Nothing of his personal life, obviously, other than him being like the first big time GM to sort of bring these ideas to the forefront. Moneyball is the story of a new system bringing a team to great heights. It's a story about a new way of playing the game. Moneyball, the movie, is the story about a man who went up against the system fundamentally. And that sort of ties into this way I'm talking about how it feels like an action movie almost. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, Scott, that you brought up how The Matrix was your favorite movie before this one, <laughs> only because I could very easily see a comparison where Moneyball, it's almost like unplugging your way out of the system and right. the old ways of doing things and opening yourself to a new world and a new <laughs> way of being. It's a weird comparison, but it makes sense. Billy um, Bean is Neo. 
<laughs> Billy Bean is Neo. Can't Matrix yes. Resurrections. You heard the scoop. Yes. This is gonna be a Matrix Four. Spoiler. Book it. <laughs> I am. I am. I am actually the producer of those movies. <laughs> I also love people who aren't the biggest fans of this movie. I tend to notice that they don't like the Billy Bean family drama stuff, mm. which is. First off, very minimized from what it was originally going to be in the original script. And I actually shot a lot of scenes. Billy Bean had a wife, uh, a current wife, not his ex-wife, that was arguably the third biggest lead after Pitt and Hill. So the fact that she was cut and the family drama is still so strong there really works. Robin Wright is in two scenes and her impact has felt very immensely, I think. And in one of those scenes, she's not even on screen. She's only in a voiceover. Uh, Something I want to highlight, though, is just the stuff with Pitt with Bean and his daughter. That is the time we actually see who Billy Bean is as a man and not this image he projects onto others, the actual man that he is. And he's a very caring, down-to-earth father that, you know, really cares about his daughter. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of a father who cares about his daughter because dads rock, baby! Oh! (laughs) There is... Just so much great stuff. I want to highlight, Austin, you brought this up. The way they shoot baseball is the most beautiful way I've ever seen baseball portrayed in film. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like an action movie with the, the thought and consideration gone into it. The fact that a lot of players in this movie were baseball players helps add to the authenticity. Right. The guy that plays David Justice in this movie, Stephen Bishop, played with David Justice. For a season. His nickname in the big leagues was Little Justice because everyone thought he looked like David. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. That kind of goes to show just like how much that really adds the authenticity. All of the scouts are mostly played by real scouts. The guy that says the fuck you, Billy thing, that's a real scout. Uh, Fun fact, though, he actually still works with the Oakland A's. That is a (laughs) gross mischaracterization. I think, but it's fine. I think the actor too agrees with his character's position. Oddly, like I remember hearing an interview that he he really does think that Moneyball was a waste of time and that baseball is about intangibles that only baseball people know. Like I think that's an actual reflection of how that actor or that guy who portrayed him really feels. So that was also an interesting tidbit about that dude. As far as I know, the only person who's portrayed in this movie that's unhappy with how they portrayed is Art Howe. In real life, Art Howe was actually 100% on board with the idea. Mm-hmm. He thought it was a really smart revolutionary concept. Oh, geez. Well, at least they got his real jacket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so, you know, he's the only guy that I know of that is un- unhappy with how the movie uh, portrays him, which, you know, that sucks. But again, right. it helps for the story. The closest thing to a true antagonistic figure are the scouts and the manager. Right. And even then, they're not really antagonists. The antagonist is more of just the situation. Right. It's just such an incredible, incredible film. It's crazy that my favorite sports movie is the one that feels the least, the least sportsy. Right. But at the same time, it's feels like the one that loves baseball the most, maybe other than Field of Dreams. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Right. Yeah, uh, I think I t- tuckered myself out with that one. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to move on to our uh, next fun question, which is, you know, these ones are not as heavy. These ones are a bit more pinpointed. This movie is a movie filled with incredible performances from Pitt, who should have won Best Actor that year, um, <laughs> to, you know, Jonah Hill, and even the smallest performances like Spike Jones and the guy that plays the owner, who portrays a guy that doesn't seem like a total douchebag, which is incredible, considering right. the owner is played by IRL CEO of Activision Blizzard, whose company is currently being sued for gross labor practices and oh, horrible, horrible sexual misconduct. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, that that's who I don't know why he's in the movie. It's the weirdest thing. This movie is filled with incredible performances. So just is there one that is your favorite? Are there any performances you want to talk about specifically? We'll start with Austin. Yeah, let's just throw some of this out there. Obviously, Brad Pitt's the star of the show. I'm not going to give the defining word on him, but I think anybody who watches this is going to say, if you weren't the question, what performance is best? Like on the JPEG you sent me, if you don't say Brad Pitt, uh, you're, you're really eccentric. Like the way <laughs> as somebody who doesn't hang around enough sports people because of life decisions I made, like watching the way that he spoke, the way that he deals with adversity and small talk and anxiety. It was like this whole new palette of defense mechanisms that I found very interesting because I'm not exposed to these people. 
watching this young, handsome guy deal with a room of people who look like they're into Sopranos, you know, like baseball <laughs> dinosaurs. It was such a unique joy. Like it reminded me of um, Brad Pitt and like, 12 Years a Slave and The Big Short, where you see his name and the producer credits, and there's just a scene where he comes in as, like, the specter of progressivism. Oh, the joys of being Brad Pitt, where you get to tell those sexist <laughs> baseball scouts that they're not smart. <laughs> Honorable mention to, you know, Jonah Hill for being such an unsuspecting, fresh-looking face. Like, I really didn't know for a minute if Sabermetrics was going to work just because of how, like, how completely new he looked. It's like, no wonder he got 12 roles exactly like this later in his career. It's a really <laughs> stellar movie to break out of your, like, comedy years with. Uh, oh, I think it was Ken Medlock was the guy who gets fired in the movie. I love that guy. I don't know why, but he has a classic face. He should be in more movies directed by Scorsese. I love that guy. That's my piece. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty great. Yeah. All right. Uh, Scott, you have any uh, favorite performance you think is the best, a favorite one, any specific ones you want to kind of highlight here? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like Austin said, I mean, you'd really have to be going out of your way to give a, <laughs> to give a unique answer to say anybody other than Brad Pitt or maybe a, a Jonah Hill. So uh, since he hit on Brad Pitt, I'll hit on Jonah Hill. And like I said, all the performances are very subdued and very restrained. So it's hard to say like, wow, he just really gave it all, you know. And the reason I would almost say Jonah Hill is because he delivers, well, one, the thematic kind of culmination line of the movie where he says it's not about the money. It's about what the money says. And it says what it says to any player who makes that amount of money that you're worth it. And to me, like, because he delivers that line and with, like, and it shows his uh, his character kind of having this arc of becoming more confident and less sheepish, I think that, yeah, he had a great performance. And I think if we don't say Jonah Hill or Brad Pitt, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, for sure. Because, like you said, in a movie that really didn't need an antagonist just because they're going up against the historical system of how baseball was done. He played a great antagonist in, in, in a way that he he wasn't a bad guy. He was just he was just a guy who said, I need you to leave me alone to do my job. He was a guy who felt, one, he didn't get his contract renewed. So he said, it's hard to work and do what I do under the cloud of a one-year contract. So I had kind of empathy for him when he was like dealing with like Billy just like popping into his office and just like, hey, uh, play this guy instead of this guy. And he's like, you just let me alone to do my job. So I had a little sympathy for him. And I think that, Really, when actors are restrained so much, you almost have to default go to their vocal performances. And I think like you have just Philip Seymour Hoffman's voice is a very um, just in contrast to all the other voices that you hear. It's just he did really well in that role. And I think, though, he was portrayed as a bad guy or an opposition in a way that the movie really didn't have. I think Grady was the purest form of the of an antagonist because just like the uh, Arliss Howard's character, the Boston owner in the end said, he's like, they feel threatened by it because you're threatening their livelihood. And that's exactly what Grady was getting at. Where he said, hey, you're threatening. And relative to acting experience, I think Grady did a heck of a job. And I think in, in relative to, and this is in a, in a non-Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill answer, because <laughs> obviously <laughs> it's like, Yes, <laughs> but and, and a relative to taking on a complicated role that was like uh, he can't be an overtapped bad guy. Philip Seymour Hoffman did a great job as well. So that's kind of my answer. Well, both of those are fair answers. Yeah, when I wrote this question down, I think what it comes down to is I'm really used to talking about more bombastic movies on this podcast. Mm. And this is clearly the most subtle movie we've talked about. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, what's your favorite set piece? What was your favorite moment? And in a movie like this, it's kind of be like, Good, good, good actor do good yeah. <laughs> you know it's hard to find good bullet point questions to talk about so this is why this sure. one's on here because yes the answer is Brad Pitt the, the answer is just it's Brad Pitt this is in my opinion the best performance of his career he should have won the best actor award that year not the guy from the artist though I don't actually hate the artist I just think Moneyball's a far better movie mm -hmm. um Brad Pitt just gave a career-defining performance in a role that's very subtle, but it's so full of these nuances and just the way he delivers lines. It's just beautiful. 
obviously Jonah Hill is incredible in this. It's, this was his first real big, serious performance as an actor. And uh, did he bring it or what? Oh, my right. God. He's the one that has, yeah. like, a more visible arc almost. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's there. Philip Sumerhoffen's great as an antagonist. A couple of two specific actors, though, I, I want to shout out here. Karis Dorsey, who plays Billy Bean's daughter in the movie. Mm-hmm. She uh, is only in a few scenes, but I think she makes the absolute most with the scenes she has. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's a really compelling performance. And, you know, I'm not saying it's like a super challenging role, but for what the movie needed, she just nailed it, you know? She's, you know, very caring force. And you can see the subtleties in her performance. Like, she's really scared for her dad, but at the same time, she kind of wants to put on a brave face. For a child performance, I thought it was quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. And I also specifically want to shout out Chris Pratt as Scott Adberg. Yeah. He uh, is the baseball player that has the most screen time in the movie for a good reason because it's his home run and that beautiful sound design when he hits that home run mm-hmm. that, you know, really makes the, the climactic point of the movie. He's um, amazing, and I think he's really great in the movie. This is one of his first serious roles. Parks and Rec had only started a few years earlier. When he first auditioned for this movie, he was actually rejected because he was too fat. So he wound up losing 30 pounds going back to them, and he's like, hey, do you guys, are you you guys still casting? (laughs) And they're like, yes. And he's like, I I lost the, the, the weight. He gives this really good, more subtle downplay performance as this more everyman type. Mm-hmm. The guy who thinks his career is over and then he is suddenly given this chance at, at redemption, essentially. I mean, not actual redemption, but baseball redemption, proving that he still has some baseball left in the tank. You know, <laughs> it's a really great, more nuanced performance from Chris Pratt, especially compared to a lot of his other more serious movies, which have been... More missed than hit, let's say. I, I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to be mean. But Chris Pratt, outside of Moneyball and Guardians of the Galaxy, is a is a really freaking, ooh, you never know. Um, but in this movie, he's really great. He feels really authentic, really genuine. All right. This last question I wanted to bring up is just because I think a movie, a part of this movie that I think is really understated and not appreciated enough is the use of music and, and generally the use of sound in it, period. Mm-hmm. I, I think the music of this movie is really incredible, and I think the sound design is really incredible. I'll get more in depth here in a second, but uh, just kind of curious, Scott, anything specific about the music sound design you you feel like you need to get your thoughts out about? Yeah, I think that, like I said, this movie undercuts a lot of inspirational moments, and I think it does that with the sound and very specific thematic ways too. Like there's a moment where. Oh, it's when Jonah Hill's first introducing him to the concept of Moneyball when he starts his first day at the Oakland A's. He's like, this is uh, this is Chad Bradford. You know, people don't like him because he throws funny. They go through all these players, which shout out Albert Pujol shows up in that lineup for a yeah. second. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, hey, look at that. And then, uh, yeah, so he goes through all that and the music's like building, 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 but it ends with a computer click. It's like... And then it stops and it's like, ooh, not only was that a good way to be like down to business, but it's kind of thematically resonant because this build of like, oh, all these players look at this open candy shop and then computer click stops it. Kind of similar to how Moneyball is like stopping the old system a little bit. And I think what is great about the sound is almost uh, I heard this phrase once about sound guys. And the thing is, nobody really notices sound guys until they don't do their job. Nobody really knows the sound design until it lacks somewhere. And I think it's those purposeful uh, retractions of sound that make sound design good. Another uh, good example is that final pivotal game where they lose their 11 to nothing lead. There's a lot of dropping out of the sound. And especially there's that specific moment right before Art Howe gets Scott Hatterberg up to bat. And the guy throws his hat and it goes quiet at the impact. It's like... And then it goes quiet. And then Art Howe just looking at all his players and the crowd sound slowly comes back in. And then he says, Hatterberg, you're up. You know, you're going in for whoever. Yeah. So the best use of the sound of this movie is it's it's retraction at moments that are poignant. And another to compare, like regardless of people's uh, views on The Last Jedi, personally, I like it. I draw a parallel to the scene where he takes the he takes the ship into the other fleet. And I think that scene's more powerful because of his lack of sound. You know, it's as he goes in and then you just see like three different angles of no sound with all those ships being ripped apart. 
And so that's just a parallel to, to show you how lack of sound and deprivation of sound can actually like help you focus more on the emotion of the moment rather than trying to balance, oh, a crowd and the players and the coach talking, the music, you know, just bring it all down to one single moment. And even at the buildup of Scott Hatterberg hitting into his home run, you can hear the fluctuation of sound because it's like crowd and they dip and you hear music up and then crowd and then music. And then finally, it's kind of a quiet moment right before he hits that hit. And it almost sounds like like the hit of the ball is literally reversed, like, and then it hits the hit. Um, but yeah, great, great sound by retraction is basically my uh, take on it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And ties into the more subtle nuance to filmmaking of the movie in general. Yeah. I just want to say I'm speaking into the camera. I'm speaking into the audience right now. The official stance of Bomb Squad Productions, and this reflects the company as a whole, is that The Last Jedi is a baller movie. is arguably <laughs> the best Star Wars movie. Please stop whining about it on the Internet. It came out four years ago. Oh, All right, yeah. Austin, what is uh, your general take on uh, music, the sound design in general, anything in specific you want to point out? Cue the Philip Seymour Hoffman clip. I'm out of my depth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Michael Dana's music is pretty inspirational. What's interesting about it is that it's sort of used more texturally. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it reminds me sort of of every scene in the social network, except for the one where in motion is playing over like the, the private club. It, it is some very like early 2010s weird Trent Reznor feeling, but they use it for like the moody presentation. It's it's um one thing I did notice. I think there is a song in it with backmasking notes. Uh, where where they're playing these tones and they're they're reversed, but the song is going forward, but the notes are reversed or something. I don't know. Mm. I don't know Pro Tools, but it was. Um, <laughs> it all did seem very of the era. I thought it was fantastic, and if I knew more, I'd talk about it. But I don't. Tanner, save me. Uh, uh, I'm an idiot. Sorry, Austin. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I think the music in this movie is really great. Uh, the main thing to point out is Scott has been saying a lot is that is that Tommy and Paula song is almost like feels like it's the main theme of the movie. Almost mm-hmm. how much it's being used. It, it comes up in the most impactful moments and it's used very effectively. The sound design in general, baseball has never sounded better. In terms of music, the specific thing I want to point out is the last thing in the movie where Billy Bean plays a a song his daughter recorded for him, uh, which is a cover of the show, which is very interesting because, fun fact, that song actually didn't come out until 2008, and this movie set in 2002. Oh! Bennett Miller was so impressed by the actress's audition of doing that song that they changed what song they were going to put in the movie. Oh, really? Which was Against the Wind by Bob Seger, of all songs. <laughs> they replaced that with the show because of how impressed Bennett Miller was during her his audition. And I have to say, no disrespect to Bob Seger, holy crap, did they make the right choice, in my opinion? Oh, yes. I can't think of a more impactful way to just put a bow on the movie than having the protagonist's daughter sing, you're such a loser, dad. You're such a loser, dad. You're such a loser, dad. Just enjoy the show. You know, because yeah. first off, those aren't the lyrics. She changed them, but it's such <laughs> a perfect thing. The entire point of the movie is that Billy's missing the forest for trees. You know, he's changed the game and he's still like not letting himself be happy. You know, and his daughter singing, you're such a loser, dad, is so fitting. It is such a perfect note to end the movie on, especially after it reveals that Billy Bean rejected an offer for a shit ton of money right. uh, to, to help GM the Boston Red Sox, who went on to kick the Cardinals' ass in the World Series a few years later. But, you know, that's the specific thing I wanted to point out uh, in terms yeah. of this music, because I think it's such a beautiful, fitting final note. And it fits better to baseball, too, because the show. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like the literal vernacular of baseball. It fits better. <laughs> yeah, making the big leagues, it's the show. It's yeah. so fitting. I can't believe, it's hard to believe that the script called for a Bob Seger song of all things. <laughs> right. I, it's wild. All right, guys. It's time for my favorite segment of the podcast, All right. uh, which is when I just lecture at you guys, kind of. It's a time for a bing, bada, bada. Tanner's Trivia Corner. That's right. There is actually a lot of trivia about this movie. 
So the budget of this movie was $50 million, which is a lot for a drama film nowadays. But back then, that was still kind of normal. Even still, they didn't have that much money to film in all of the stadiums that the Oakland Athletics visited. So Dodger Stadium was dressed up as eight different ballparks. Ooh. Yeah, it's a lot. As I said before, all but four of the scouts in the movie were played by actual Major League Baseball scouts. Uh, one of them, Tom Gamboa, is best known as the former Kansas City first uh, Kansas City Royals first base coach, who was attacked on the field by two fans during a game <laughs> on the Chicago White Sox in 2002. It was a father and son who were drunk off their asses, thrown onto the field for no reason, and tackled the 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 the, the, the coach. <laughs> uh, he unfortunately suffered permanent hearing loss because of this. Oh, jeez. It is the most insane story ever. That's why I brought it up. It's not funny because a man suffered a disability. Right. But at the same time, it's it's absurd. Right. <laughs> Jeez. During this movie, there's the scouts when they're all discussing the players and one scout dismisses a player for having an ugly girlfriend, meaning he has no confidence. Uh, the story that a scout on the athletics didn't want to play because he had an attract, unattractive girlfriend is true, but in real life, it was cited as meaning he had bad eyesight. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of way funnier. Uh, that's, uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bennett Miller was not the first director attached to this movie. Steven Sodenberg mm. was originally attached to direct this movie. He intended on having all the baseball players portray themselves. He oh. also intended on making it a documentary narrative hybrid. He actually uh. already filmed interviews with some of the players before production of the movie started. When Columbia Pictures actually uh, caught wind of what the hell Steven Soderbergh was doing, uh, they dropped him. Uh, I have to say, I, I love Steven Soderbergh. I think he's an amazing director. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. Yeah. That would have been a stupid way to make this movie. That would yeah. be like filming yeah. a whole feature on an iPhone. And, and But then not doing it good like Sean Baker does. Yeah, not tangerine, right. but side effects or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and unsane, I think. Unsane, thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the film only had one day to shoot the scenes of Billy Bean visiting Fenway Park. They only had one day, and it just turned out it was raining that day, so they just kind of kept that in the final product of the film that wasn't intentional. Several of the players had actual baseball experience, specifically uh, Casey Bond and uh, Darren Ehrbert, and most importantly, Royce Clayton. He plays a very minor part of the movie. I think he might play Miguel Dejada or something. He actually played in Major League Baseball for 17 seasons. Wow. And he went on to acting after his career ended. Nice. That's kind of cool. Wow. One of the things that we hear a lot in the movie was um, is the uh, sound of people on the radio dismissing Billy Bean in this concept, right? Being like, oh, it's dumb. It's not going to work. It's bullshit. One of the most persistently negative voice, faceless voices you hear over and over again. We don't actually have a name for the character, but it's actually played by noted character actor Ron Canada. The character gives a sharp rebuke to the A's after the climactic playoff loss where he was like, this is because the, ba the, the A's were a fundamentally unsound baseball team. Right. Uh, many people thought that it was intended to evoke the views of baseball traditionalists like Joe Morgan. As a matter of fact, Ron Canada specifically auditioned as a Morgan voice batch for the movie. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's literally what that is. Joe Morgan is cool. a um, baseball traditionalist and Ron Canada, great character actor. He played the movie. Some of the actual dialogue in the movie is a result of mock interviews the guy did during the recording studio. For some reason, Ron Canada is not is not credited in the movie at all, hmm. despite his character being a pretty consistent force in the movie. Right. But he says he's uh, proud to contribute to something that he calls, and I'm directly quoting, a sports film for grownups. And uh, finally, this is the last bit of trivia because this is really funny. It's less about the movie, more about real life. According to the book, the bat used by Haddenberg to hit his walk-off home run was made by a company he didn't have a deal with. He wasn't originally supposed to bat in the game, and he had to borrow a bat from a teammate in order to hit. Uh, he later got fined because he used a different bat. <laughs> That's weird. Jeez. It's the most baseball-ass bullshit ever. Right. But yeah, that is all I have in terms of trivia. So unless Austin has any fun things to say, because I know you did a lot of digging into the bonus features. Oh, uh, buy the Moneyball Blu-ray, because there is a three-minute scene of Brad Pitt just laughing and ruining yeah. a take for three straight <laughs> <three> minutes. <laughs> yeah, the, it's pretty incredible. Yeah the, minor, yeah, the minor league guy, when he rounds the thing, he, <laughs> he just can't keep it together. You can kind of see it in the final cut, because he's like, 
Oh, they're laughing at him. Like, he has to cover his mouth because he can't even Because <laughs> he's himself. about to laugh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, like, the arguably the climactic emotion of the movie, and Brad Pitt can't keep it together. Right. Yeah, he can't keep it together. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. All right. Well, in that case, uh, do we have any departing thoughts on Moneyball overall? We'll start with Austin. I was very surprised by how good this is. It's great to run into a sports movie that I like. This is important. I'd recommend it to people. Scott, you got any departing thoughts about one of your favorite films of all time here? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love it. And I think that it's it's a great sports movie. It's a great movie in general, even if you don't like sports. It's a great film about like generational differences. It's a great film about modernism versus traditionalism. It's a great film about deconstructing a lot of uh, things about our culture that have been so affixed for many generations. Uh, it's just overall a great film. It has good good performances that don't come off as performances because they're so natural and subdued. And if you like. Another great film by Bennett Miller, Foxcatcher. Also another great take on sports subject matter that if you're not particularly into sports, is fantastic. But yeah, I think that this this film is, is, is great all on its own, but it also represents kind of a new movement, I think, in uh, nonfiction storytelling that kind of deconstructs the mythos around, you know, biographical figures. You know, I think that... Uh, yeah, it represents a lot more than it is. And uh, even if you don't want to go into that, it's just a great movie. So, yeah. All right, Scott, that was beautifully said. I'm not sure I'm going to top that, but <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. It, it, it was a catalyst in changing my life and putting me on a path in which I'd become a filmmaker instead of a miserable computer programmer. It's an amazing movie. I think it's Brad Pitt's best performance. I think it's Jonah Hill's best performance. I think it's Bennett Miller's best movie. I think this is the second best script Sorkin has ever worked on, even mm-hmm. though it's mostly Steve Zarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Zarian, I think it's his best script. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is just so, so, so incredible. Everyone in this movie is just firing on all cylinders on their absolute A game. It's an incredible movie. And like Scott was saying, it kind of fundamentally changed how people do these more biographical type movies. Please, please, please check it out. It's on Prime Video Yeah, if you need someone to watch it. So. so I hope you watch it. And I want to thank you, Scott Wisdom, <laughs> for coming on to our podcast. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug or anything? Social media, any projects, anything? You guys should check out this really cool podcast called the bomb squad podcast no i'm totally hey, wait a minute I'm totally, hey, wait a minute i'm totally brown nosing right now i i didn't really have any intention of plugging anything i've uh, uh i guess i helped produce a movie recently he called me a producer i was only assistant directing andy compton's ethan and edna great project coming up um Oh yeah. yeah. For the second time second that's been plugged plug. this year. Really? Yes. Yeah. Because Andy, Andy Andy was on the podcast earlier this what year. Was he? Right on. Yeah. Like yeah. a month ago, I think. Yeah, I guess uh my short film Khakis, I, I guess you could check out. Watch Khakis, it's really good. I'm probably gonna release it just to the public soon. I think it's had a good run. That's all it. Right. That's all my plugs. <laughs> Go find Scott Wisdom stuff. He's a very talented man, and as talented he is, he somehow manages to be even a nicer man than he is a talented man. So thank you again for coming on, Scott. Absolutely. (laughs) And uh, I want to thank you, the audience, for watching slash listening to this podcast. If you are listening to this podcast on any of the audio platforms you're on, Thank you very much for listening. Please make sure you leave a review. It helps boost us in the algorithm. If you are watching this podcast on YouTube, please go ahead and go down below into the comment section below and tell us what you think. Uh, what do you think of Moneyball? What is your favorite performance in the movie? Is this movie a revolutionary film? Comment below and let us know. And while you're down there, please go ahead and hit that like button so we can know how much you like us. Hit that subscribe button so we can know how much you love us. And hit that (laughs) bell icon so we can know exactly when we upload new videos. Thank you all so much, very much for joining us, guys. And I will see you all next time.